chapter 17, verses 1 to 5. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word read to us. And we pray that as we look towards this new series on eternal life, that it would be an important beginning to the new year, refocusing on you, reorientating, recalibrating the compass of our heart towards you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I wonder what you think about when you hear the phrase eternal life. What's the thing that comes to mind? Maybe it's an elixir for youth, or if you like Harry Potter, the Philosopher's Stone, or elves from Middle Earth. Maybe the idea conjures up the idea of kind of a heavenly, ethereal existence floating on clouds with a sudden love for choral music and harps. I don't know. Maybe you think of it as some kind of hedonistic feast of pleasure, a constant stream of donuts, I don't know. Um, perhaps you think eternal life just of a sense of contentment and bliss that goes on forever. So we've just heard read this amazing prayer of Jesus in John 17. It's a whole chapter of the gospel which offers a window into Jesus's heart right before he dies. So the, the thing that is the, the burden of his heart in the moment before his cross. And he talks about his mission. He explains his mission, the objective of his coming to say it was to give eternal life, that he has authority to grant eternal life. So now in the shadow of Calvary, this is about to be achieved. He says in the passage, the work you have given me to do is finished. And of course, the cross hasn't quite happened yet, but there is this sense, if you like, do you know anyone Doctor Who fans, that the cross is a bit timey-wimey <laughs> in that um, Jesus does die at a point on Calvary, and yet in Revelation it says that he is the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. So this has been in God's heart from the beginning of time. So there is in a sense that the work is finished. But what is eternal life? What does Jesus mean when he says to grant eternal life? That's the question we're going to be pondering over the next four weeks in our sermon series during the month of January. So I love reading. Lauren asked me once what makes you happiest and I answered probably too honestly. I said uh, reading <laughs> and finding out new ideas and she just looked at me 
<laughs> obviously, the correct answer was spending time with you, dear. <laughs> she had the hump with me for the rest of the day. Actually, she's not here, so I can tell you, for the rest of the week, actually. And then, <laughs> she kept bringing it up. <laughs> um, but I, I love reading, and one of the books that I read last year was Lifespan by Dr. David Sinclair. David Sinclair is a professor of human longevity, and he believes, and he does actually make a very convincing argument, that uh, human beings may, even those alive now, may live healthily way over 100 years, and maybe even to 200 years. And he thinks, maybe, uh, that there may become a point where human beings just don't die anymore. Um, at least that's what he thinks. And there's some mice in Harvard in America that uh, are incredibly old. So in mice years, they're like 150 years old that are still healthily running on treadmills. So just something I quite like to think, some really old geriatric mice having a good time on a treadmill. Um, I also love podcasts. And um, everyone wants to have David Sinclair on their show and I think this idea of discovering a pill or some like nanobot technology that pauses or reverses aging taps into something deep within the human soul. I was watching a video a couple of weeks ago of Russell Brand, the comedian turned kind of 21st century wonder guru type guy. And um, he, he was talking really honestly about death and his own fears of death. He was saying, I know people die, but not old Russ. Old Russ will find a way to dodge that. That's what normal people do, die, not old Russ. Um, the largest investment of the world's billionaires, so the owner of Google and Jeff Bezos, who owns Amazon, owns Amazon, the largest investment that they hold is in companies searching for the cure for death. And I think that tells you something about the psyche of these powerful, it's mainly men, powerful men who desperately don't want to die. And what's going on here? See, I'm not sure primarily it's just as simple as a fear of death. I think partly you could say it's a love for life. Or as Dylan Thomas, the poet, spoke or wrote, do not go gentle into that good night, but rage, rage against the dying of the light. I think... It's primarily a fear of a loss of control and power. So if you, if you know Psalm 2, um, why do the nations rage and the peoples devise a vain plot against the Lord and against his anointed? And it says that the one in heaven laughs. He scoffs at them. He terrifies them in his wrath and rebukes them in his anger. And so I think this is the essence of the search for the cure to death in a spiritual sense is if we can find the cure to death, then in some ways we can carry on pretending to play the game that actually we are gods. We are God and the manifesto controller of our own destiny. We carry on playing that game. Our world's understanding of eternal life is concerned with quantity. That's what David Sinclair cares about quantity. The idea of living beyond 200 years. 
When I say that to people, people most people just go, oh, that sounds terrible. <laughs> or perhaps even beyond that, seeing the next millennium. I am in no doubt that there are some people living today, probably most of them live in Silicon Valley, um, who think they will not die. I think that's an incredibly naive view to have, but I think there are people alive that think that. But Jesus, in this passage that we've read, goes on to bring a definition of what eternal life means. And it's not primarily based on a quantity of life, though it may be that as well. It's primarily based on a quality of life, a a new reality, a, a new state of being. Jesus says, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. So Jamie, next week, is going to dig a bit deeper into this. But to go in briefly, Jesus is actually talking, um, he, he's, he's kind of bringing a pushback or even a slapdown on humanity. That there's, he's saying that there's something deficient or maybe even something lacking, or perhaps even, to use a strong word, something dead about the life that humans live. And that he's come to rectify this. This is his mission, to grant and give eternal life. That eternal life is brought about by a quality of relationship with God. If there's any people who've been in the Pentecostal background, it's what sometimes, or, or Quakers use this word too, actually, the idea of quickening, this idea that when God, when you meet with God, that you change, that something inside you uh, quickens and transforms. A moment when you see God for who he is, whereas before you might have been indifferent, but now your heart has been awakened to the wonder of his holiness and the amazing depth of his love. Eternal life is the quality of life where a human being can enjoy God. Without eternal life, this gift given, a human being can't enjoy God. You know, Psalm 2 talks about how says we're naturally God's enemies. And yet, eternal life granted to the human race means that we can enjoy his presence. You know, the, f- the famous Westminster, Westminster Catechism uh, has these words, you know, what is the purpose of life? Or I think it's, what, what is the chief end of man? But essentially, it's what is the purpose of life? And it's to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, to, to know him. That's the purpose of life, to glorify him, to know him, and to enjoy him. Your conscience being softened and awakened to a new spiritual dimension. So a, a preacher in America called Tim Keller Here's this brilliant analogy to expound the, the, the words of Jesus regarding eternal life. So a plant is different to an animal, and an animal is different to a human being. They each have a higher level of conscience and a higher level of mastery over their instincts. So a plant is not really conscience, conscious and doesn't have any mastery over itself. It just lives off its drives. It just does what a plant does. It grows. It, it, it has no choice. And an, an animal, uh, slightly more, but still living off its drives. I mean, something I find amazing is watching the birds build nests. Like, 
there must be something inside the bird that just is hardwired to know what to do. Uh, it's like, and we have those kind of base instincts as well, animal drives. Human beings are naturally afraid of snakes. Even if you've never seen a snake before, every, there's something in us hardwired. Ugh, snake, <laughs> stay away. Um, but he, even human beings, though we are more in control over our basic instincts and drives, um, there are times, aren't there, where we realize that when we're not in control, you especially see it with kids, you know, it's, it's, the human life is deficient if not being able to live, you know, if a human was to live the life of a plant, then we would say it's a very sad, very sad existence. And the same way, if a human was to live the life of an animal, i.e. my children, we would say it's a very sad existence. <laughs> and try and tell them not to be animals. <laughs> um, but you might have experienced this. There, there might have been a time where uh, something happened and all of a sudden the donut was in your hand and the donut is now in your mouth. And you're not sure, actually, that you were fully in control of what, what happened. Something else took over you, some kind of animal drive to eat the donut. Uh, but that's quite a soft way of talking about stuff. But there's other things, darker things, where uh, we realize that our humanity was degraded in some way, that perhaps we harmed ourselves or even we harmed others. And the worst thing is, the darkest thing is, is if you're honest, you're not actually sure that you were in control of that situation. Eternal life is a whole new reality to life. It's as different from the humdrum, everyday existence as uh, animal life is to plant life. It's like seeing in color for the first time. I started reading the Bible through in January, and on New Year's Day, I read the story of Genesis 4, Cain and Abel, and God says to Cain after he kills his brother, if you know the story, he says, sin is crouching at your door. It's the reality of all humanity. Sin is crouching at your door, looking to devour you. But you may rule over it. You may master it. And Jesus granting eternal life is the fulfillment of that promise or that statement from God that you, we can master our animal base instincts. Um, you can see this in a way, these different types of creatures, a plant, an animal, and a human being, and someone who's received eternal life, which we might call a Christian, um, the way they view a flower. So a plant, of course, they, they can't view flowers, but an animal might think, well, can I eat it, or should I not eat it? That's what it would think of the flower. That's what, that's what cats do. You know, they look at flowers. Suspicious of flowers, aren't they, cats? Human beings, they um, might be able to experience the beauty of the flower and begin to wonder at the science. You know, stamens and bees and pollen. Whereas uh, a human being who has been received eternal life, they think, wow, my master did this. 
And if he can achieve such beauty in a broken world, imagine what he has in store for us when he makes all things new and all things right. Imagine the wonders of the future where this is just a foretaste of what is coming, the beginning of the great adventure of eternal life. Jesus often refers to the hour or something like his hour has not yet come. But now Jesus says in this prayer, he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. And Jesus here is referring to his cross, the time when he will drink the cup of wrath, that every evil intent is taken by Jesus This is God's good plan. This isn't an angry God punishing an unwilling child. I don't know whether you've heard that. It's a horrible caricature of what happens at the cross. This is God in Christ suffering and taking on the world's brokenness. Later on in this sermon series, towards the end of January, we're going to explore the idea of sin as disease that afflicts human beings, that on the cross, Jesus is infected with the disease, and it runs riot through his soul and his body, so much that the writer of Hebrews says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. He knows exactly what it is to suffer with the disease. He fully understands our nature, having taken on our sin, having been infected completely and utterly by the disease, he dies. For as Paul writes, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. He beats the disease on the cross. And the hour of the cross becomes the gateway into which humanity can experience this new life. The hour, the cross, is the gate. And you're welcomed in to receive the gift of eternal life. This new state of being, this new nature. That's the amazing thing, is that it can be yours today. If you don't have it, you can leave with it. If you have, you're not proud of your achievement, thinking, I'm on a whole other level to every other human being who hasn't received this. Um, You've done nothing to earn it. You don't boast in your own achievement, but you boast in your Savior. You don't trust in your own works, but you trust in the hour that Jesus talks about, the cross. So I want to finish with a question. It's a personal question. There's a rub to this. Do you have eternal life? Of course, some would say the obvious answer to all of us is yes, because we're all here in church, but... Actually, this is a question you have to search your own heart for. Do, do you have eternal life? And if you did, how would you know? How would you know? Well, I think this is how you would know. You find the idea of God wonderful. You find the person of Jesus Christ irresistible. You enjoy being with God. You are aware of his presence When the Bible talks about taste and see that the Lord is good, you think, yes, I know that. I know he is good. I think that's that's a great test 
to, to answer the question whether you have eternal life. Do you find the idea of God wonderful? Now, there are two kinds of answers if, uh, other than, yes, I know I have eternal life. And if the answer is yes, I, I know I have this, then that's brilliant. It's what we call assurance. You have assurance of your salvation, assurance of the gift. It could simply be, your answer could simply be emphatically, no, I know I don't have this in the way this has been described. And if, if, that, is, if that is you, which there could be someone here today who is thinking, actually, no, actually, has this been described? I, that, this isn't me. Then it can be yours today that Jesus um, welcomes all those who come to him to know the one true God, to taste and see that he, he is good. But there's another kind of answer, and it, it's more uncomfortable. It's also more likely than just no if, if you're here, uh, other than yes. You may know you have invited God into your life in the past, but you don't see yourself in the answer to the question that I gave. Honestly, the idea of God being wonderful or the person of Jesus being irresistible or enjoying God's presence, you think, well, uh, honestly, I feel quite dry. <laughs> honestly, I, I can't testify that I believe God is good because things have been really difficult um, or things have ground me down. Firstly, to say to you, if that's you, and you know, sometimes that's me. I'm being, I'm being honest, sometimes that's me. Um, the great lie of the devil to the Christian is to doubt your salvation, is to doubt the gift of eternal life to you. If Jesus has ever had you, if the Father has ever had you in the palm of his hand, if you have ever said yes, he will not let you go. That's the testament of who God is. He is the good shepherd who, who leaves the 99 in search of the one. And the great lie the devil tests us with, uh, lies to us with, is that we are not the one. He might go after another one, but not me. He, he loves them, but he doesn't love me. And emphatically, I tell you today, he loves you. Don't, don't fall for that lie. Don't fall for that. And um, yeah, you can, <laughs> you can uh, tell the devil where to put that. The Father longs for you. Uh, you are the joy that caused Jesus to endure the hour. You are the joy that caused Jesus to endure the cross. You, having you as his possession. But just as the life of a plant, animal, or human can be neglected, so can the eternal life of a Christian. Like a sad houseplant in desperate need of a drink, or like a dog not exercised, or like a human being living off a diet of what's-its. Eternal life... Um, Many Christians live lives that are anemic, that lack power because they lack spiritual nutrition. You know, Paul says, sow to the spirit and do not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. I had this great analogy um, of, uh, uh, a, 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 I think it's, it's, an, it's the first peoples of America. It's an American um, Indian proverb. I don't know whether it's 
true or not. It's just a proverb. It says there's um, someone goes to the chief and, and says, uh, Chief, it feels like there are two lions in me, one good and one bad, uh, fighting for control over myself. He says, what should I do? And the chief says, son, uh, you must feed the one that is good and, the, and, and starve the one that is bad. And, and that's essentially what Paul is saying. Sow to the spirit and do not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Uh, what are you sowing your life into? What are you uh, watching on TV? What are you reading, et cetera, et cetera? Now, it's easy for a sermon all about God's grace. This is... And this, this passage is all about God's grace. He comes to grant eternal life. It's easy for it to end with, look busy, Jesus is coming. <laughs> and I, I do want us all, of course, to be reading the Bible more and to be praying more. But in all of this, it's summed up by Jesus later on in verse 13. He says, I, I'm saying this now so that they may have the full measure of joy. Eternal life is to enjoy God, to have joy in his presence. To know him and to glorify him and enjoy him forever. To know him, to glorify him, and to enjoy him forever. That's the essence of eternal life. And maybe we're still in the period where we can make commitments for this year. You didn't have to make them on the first day of the year. Maybe this is a commitment to think, how am I looking after the eternal life that is in me, the gift given? How am I stewarding it? How am I inviting it to grow? Like a houseplant, am I putting it on the windowsill where there's light and giving it regular water. There's something for you to think about and pray, thinking, Lord, how can I cultivate this joy in me, this knowledge of you, this knowing? Let's pray. And then um, we're going to confess our faith together. Lord Jesus, I pray that by your Holy Spirit now, you would speak to each of our hearts, including mine. Lord, first I pray that you would confirm us in the faith that if we haven't experienced joy in your presence for a while, that we would right now in this moment, that we would become aware of your presence. In the name of Jesus. Amen.